Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Good morning, guys. <clears throat> Hope you're doing all right this morning. Uh, this week, we are talking about something that I am hopeful is going to make us slightly uncomfortable, so be prepared. Uh, today, we're talking about how to be a good person. You ever heard this phrase, a good person? Like, why does that immediately sort of, like, make you tense up a little bit? Like, we don't like that. I didn't realize it, actually, until we have, like, a little sermon, like, pregame meeting every week. And as I said, like, you should be a good person, everybody was like, no, that sounds terrible, right? Like, that's not the message of Jesus. He's telling us the opposite. That sounds awful. What are you talking about? And then I schooled them all. This is one of the things you get to do as a pastor and resident bad person. I was like, it's right there in the text. Look, that's what Jesus is talking about today, actually. He says, a good person out of good treasure will bring forth good, an evil person out of evil treasure will bring forth evil. It's got me thinking about this term, a good person, and I don't know why we don't really like it. Uh, It's a common enough phrase. There's actually a movie coming out starring Morgan Freeman and directed by Zach Braff pretty soon called A Good Person probably haven't heard of it. It's just for nerdy people that are Zach Braff fans. There's also a uh, Denver brand, actually a t-shirt brand. You might have seen these. Has anybody seen these shirts that say, be a good person? Uh, Before I begin or go into this next section, no one's like wearing one right now, right? Okay, we're good, good. Yeah, check your neighbor just to make sure, okay? Be a good person. Do you ever see shirts like that? And you're like walking down the street, right? Somebody's like, on the sidewalk across from you and you're walking down somebody's like wearing a shirt that says be a good person you think to yourself you know what I think I will I think I will be a good person is that the point of that it actually happened in a similar way and this is kind of difficult uh for me to really remit admit uh but I actually used to really really hate people that looked different from me I mean I, I hated them hated them one day I was watching a football game, of all things, and I saw this little piece of plastic on the back of their helmets, and it said, end racism. And in that moment, I stopped. I wasn't racist anymore. I was done. I was changed, right? I think that's about the effectiveness of this Be a Good Person t-shirt brand, right? Like, it doesn't really work that way, and in fact, it makes us feel like a little bit queasy and weird, right? It's a super weird thing that Jesus here says they're good persons and evil persons. It seems very, like, binary for Jesus, right? Like, he's like, there's only two options. You're either a good person or you're a bad person. Which is also complex for us living in the year 2023, because if you've seen a movie or a TV show in the past 10 years, you know there are no good persons. There are only good persons and bad persons. Good people are people who have had trauma and overcame it to become the hero of the story. Bad persons are people who have had trauma and then use that trauma to cause other people trauma, right? Like, this is the nature of storytelling in 2023. You have no one to really cheer for and no one to really root against, right? It gets kind of squirrely. But this is not the case for Jesus. And so I say all of that to say we've got a little bit of a hill to get over to even wrap our minds around what Jesus is trying to tell us today. When he says that they're good people and bad people. Good people have good in them and bring forth good. Bad people have an evil treasure inside of them that brings out evil. Now you may be thinking to yourself, this is good news for me. This is good news for me because I'm good people, right? Like, people are always saying that to me. Like, I show up and they're like, hey, do you, do you know Josh? He's good people, right? 
uh, I hang out at a lot of like mafia bars in case you haven't picked up, right? Like I walk in and they're like, Josh, you old gabagool. It's good to see, oh, <clears throat> they, they have squeaky voices, part of the impression. They say, Josh, you old gabagool, you old souls and souls, how's your mother? Now this guy, he's good people. Wow, was that good or what? Maybe I need to read the end racism thing again. Was, can you be racist towards the time? Anyway, I don't want to get lost. So we're just going to keep on moving. <clears throat> you and me, we're good people. <laughs> At least we want to be. That's why the clothing company is so appealing, right? There's something inside of us that wants to be good people. We want to be a good person. That's like this rudimentary kind of like basic human desire. That's why I think it's so appealing and easy to like talk about. We want to be good people. We think that we are good people. We probably are good people. We know we're better than some other people, right? No. And this is where it gets hard. Paul says this in Romans 3, verse 9. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not after all. Not at all. For we have already changed that all. Oh, sorry. I'm going to start this over. I ruined that completely. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already changed that all. Both Jews and We've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And then down in verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fallen short, or fall short of the glory of God. So which is it? Is Paul right or is Jesus right? Because it seems here, on the surface at least, that Jesus is saying there are good people and there are evil people. But Paul seems to suggest that there are no good people. You see, that word sin is what makes us not good. And he says all have sinned. To sin is to do something against the will of God. It is harmful to yourself. It is harmful to others. It is in opposition to God's will. And that is what makes us not good. Later on, when Jesus is talking, even he casts some aspersions on this idea that there are good people. He says this, after being brought a woman who had committed adultery and was supposed to be stoned, he says this in John 8, verse 7, he says, says, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, if you know this story, you know that all the guys that were there trying to stone this lady who had been caught in adultery had to turn and walk away because they knew that they too We're not a good enough person to be able to stone this woman. They, too, were bad people. They, too, were sinners. So perhaps what Jesus is saying here is not necessarily that there are good and bad people, but he's pointing towards this great need that we have for Jesus. And if we think that we're good people, if we think that we're perfect people, if we think that we have everything right, then we probably think that we don't need Jesus, right? Like we think like, okay, Jesus is nice, maybe he teaches me some nice things, he helps me be a little bit better of a person, but I don't really need him to like die on, my cro- or die on the cross for my sins or anything like that, right? Like he's like okay to have around, but I don't really, it's not really necessary. But when you understand that if you don't fall into the good slash perfect category already, then you fall into the other category, which means that you are in desperate need of Jesus, we don't fall into the category of people that have no need for Jesus, and we fall into the not-so-good category, into the evil category, into the, hey, Josh, you old gabagool, he's bad people category to bring it back, right? <clears throat> now, I hope you're with me because everything else hinges on this idea, and I got here pretty quickly. If there are only two categories of people, which do we naturally, without Jesus, fall into? The bad. And what happens to bad people? Jesus tells us. Verse 36. 
I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Right? That is why our new slogan is, Welcome to Dwell Church, You're a Bad Person. We even put it on a slide, I think, actually, if you, uh, if you need to write that down, get it in your notes. Uh, we're going to be moving into a building in four weeks, and I think we're going to put that on the window on the outside, just so you know. All right? Welcome to Dwell Church. You're a bad person. No, that isn't what we open with, right? We open with the gospel. And here's what I think we are all too quickly or quick to dismiss is that the gospel has to start with the idea that you are a bad person in need of a good person or a perfect person even to make you good. You see the subtle difference that I'm making here? Like the gospel always begins with sin. It begins our state of being separated from a good and perfect God. A good and perfect God can't hang out with imperfect people. He can't be around that sin. That sin would actually, uh, it, would, it separates us from who he is. And the gospel always begins with that. It begins with an acknowledgement that you are imperfect. That you've done things to harm yourself and to harm others. What's amazing about this is that when you say it to another human being, like I'm saying it to you now, it sounds really harsh, right? And yet, when you think about it in yourself, you're like, yeah, of course I have. What's really fascinating is like across the board, so it doesn't even matter what your religion is, what your culture is, what your, even your culture deems as right and wrong, you know that even if like all of this is just a like social contract, we are freaking weird as human beings that we set these rules of what's right and wrong and then we know that we've all broken them, right? Like the very thing, same thing that you're going to complain about someone doing to you this afternoon, you did to somebody else last week. It's the nature of being a human being, and it's the very beginning of the gospel. Because you know and you understand that you've done things to put you in separation and even opposition to a holy God, and only in knowing and accepting this can you actually say that you need the good news that Jesus is offering. And then when you accept that, when you accept that you are sinful and need Jesus, a miracle happens inside of you. Now, not only in that moment are your sins forgiven, not only are you made right with God, but he actually sets us free from being slaves to sin. Paul says it this way, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Enslaved to sin. Now, this is an important little like nugget of theology right here. This is why when you become a believer, it's not that you never sin again. Jesus doesn't turn you instantly into perfect, right? Like he doesn't instantly make you just this perfectly good person that always does the good and right thing all the time. What he does is breaks you free of the bonds to sin. No longer are you enslaved to sin. No longer is sin your master. So what that should tell us is if you want to be a good person, breaking the chain that ties you to be a bad, being a bad person is step number one. One, and you can't do that yourself. This is the simple good news of the gospel. That if you find yourself as a person who is trapped into being the wrong thing, into being the bad guy, into being an evil person, a person that does wrong all the time, if when I say, is sin your master, you think to yourself and you look back on your life and you say, yes, yes, that is exactly my life, I am here to tell you that there is only one way possibly even break through break free from that 
There's only one way to be set free from that, and you cannot do it yourself. Jesus Christ is the only one, because he lived a good and perfect life, and then died on the cross, giving us his life for ours, exchanging our uh, imperfect life for his perfect one, exchanging our evil for his good, and he offers that freely to you today. So let's say that you are a follower of Jesus. And you're like, yeah, Josh, I get all this gospel stuff. I get what you're saying. He's released us from slavery to sin. And because of that, then and only then can we work towards being this good person. Or can we, can we begin to act like this good person or become this good person to live one day in God's good kingdom that he's created for us? Jesus tells us where to start if that's the journey that we want to go on. And it is in our hearts. Now, I've done a little bit of research here, and I don't really know who started this whole heart thing, you know, talking about your heart. I like to imagine it like this. Uh, one day there was a young medical student coming up to an old medicine man of the tribe thousands and thousands of years ago. The medicine man is, like, leaning over a dead body. And uh, the, the young medical student, he's young. Uh, he's just met his uh, future wife. They're madly in love. So he walks up to the medicine man. The medicine man is like, oh, yeah, they're looking in this dead body. They're like, uh, yeah, okay, here's where the poop goes, and here's, like, the air pumpers and stuff, and uh, here's all these little stringy things that go through the body. We don't know what those are, right? And so he's, like, showing them what they know back then. And then the, the young guy is like, yeah, but where, where does love come from? And the medicine man is like, uh, mm, there, there, right there in the middle. The middle part, that's probably the love part. And the, the guy's like, why? Why is that? And he says, well, when you, when you stab somebody there, they die the fastest. So that must be it, right? Like, that must be where all of your feelings come from. So the young guy says, oh, oh, it must be true. That makes a lot of sense, right? I will make my beloved a card showing her this organ so that she will know my love. Let me see. How many ventricles are there? And then the medicine man was like, no, let's just make it like this, all right? Just a big swoosh here coming down to a point. Uh, now, I don't know if that's real history. I think it's as good a guess as anybody else's. But at some point, we decided that the heart was like the center of everything. I didn't pick it out. You didn't pick it out. That's where we're at right now. And Bible translators know that back in the day, uh, the Greek word there was cardia. So think like cardiac arrest or something like that. And what this means is the causative source of a person's psychological life in its various aspects, but with special emphasis upon thoughts, the heart, the inner self, or the mind. That is the translation of this word cardia. Now, it doesn't quite sound as romantic when you phrase it like that. Thanks, Johannes P. Lowe and Eugene Albert Nida. Uh, yeah, that's the longest uh, quotation reference ever there. Sorry about that. But that is what Jesus was thinking about when he says... That uh, whether we are good or bad, it comes from the heart. It's a word that ancient people used to describe the you part of you. So it's sort of the center of you. It is everything that you think about yourself. It is who you are. Jesus says that we ought to start there when we start looking for why we are good or bad. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks? Did you see that in verse 33? He basically says that if a tree is bad, it's going to produce bad fruit and if a tree is good, it's going to produce good fruit. 
No one looks like at, at a dead apple tree in an orchard that's supposed to grow apples, and it's like, you know what, that tree might not grow apples, but it's doing all right. No, it is a bad tree. It's bad at being a tree. Then he calls them a family of snakes, which I have to imagine was like a sick put-down back in the day, right? Like, you brood of vipers. And then he says, how can you speak good when you are evil? He's not asking a grammatically incorrect, because we all know it would be speak well, right? No, he's saying, like, uh, how can you speak goodness? How can you speak what is good when you are an evil person? How in the world is, supposed to, is good supposed to come out of you? And then he tells us the center of it all, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is where it all comes from, that heart that you part of you, that seat of your motivations and thoughts and movements. This is where the evil comes from or this is where the good comes from. It doesn't come externally. Notice that. Jesus is not saying you're good because people have treated you bad, right, and um, you know, have a bad environment or something like that. It also doesn't come from some like bodily function like hunger, right? It's not just some sort of like root intrinsic motivation. No, he's saying that the you part of you is bad, the inside you, the real you. Now, you know this to be true, right? Like, you know this at some sort of gut level that this is true. Because there's a lot of times when we try and put our badness onto other factors, we try and say, like, oh, well, I did something bad because of this thing. And when you really, really, really start to think about it, you realize that it was actually just you, inside of you. Right, like, uh, the other day, uh, two weeks ago, Sarah's brother was in town, uh, and I got all mad, right? Uh, and I was like, man, I don't like these plans that you've made for us to go to a barbecue restaurant on a Saturday. I wanted to shout, you dummy, don't you know that I love barbecue and I had, like hanging out with my family? Right? Like, you've been one of those moves, like, you're mad, but you have no good reason for it. Like, I love barbecue. It's soft, and it reminds me of home, and I love it. <sighs> right? And I was so, so mad, and I thought, like, I don't know why I'm trying to ruin this del like, delightful family day that we're having. And as I was sitting there thinking about it, I thought to myself, maybe I'm mad because I feel like I'm not in good control of my life. And so I'm naturally going to get mad at someone else who tries to control it because I secretly believe that I'm the only one that should be in control, even though I'm too tired and worn out to actually control my life. All of these thoughts are swirling in my head, and I had to be forced to come to this conclusion that the problem is not outside of me. The problem is actually inside of me. Maybe you've had these moments, too. Maybe you yell at your kids because you're mad at your boss because he made you feel bad. Maybe you belittle your subordinates because it makes you feel smarter than them and you need that level of pride. Maybe you talk trash about someone else because you think it makes you look better. Maybe, but hopefully not, you're like the Pharisees from last week and you call the Son of God Satan to his face because you're worried that the religious system that you built to keep you fat and happy is going to come crashing down around you. Hopefully not, but maybe, right? That's what Jesus is very directly referencing here. And he lets them know that doesn't come from some sort of external source, that doesn't come from the outside, that comes from inside of us. The problem was from the inside out, which means when I'm not being the good person that I want to be, the problem is me. The problem is inside of me. But I have one problem with that, <clears throat> and it's a big problem. The problem is I love me, 
right? Like, I'm one of my favorite people, probably top 10 most days, right? I mean, sure, there are times when I do not love me, but for the most part, I love me. I am interesting. I am a beautiful butterfly. I am an INFJ and an Enneagram 4 and a Gryffindor and a Slytherin somehow wrapped up into one, right? I can't be the problem. I love me. I am so much smarter than those people know that I am. I am so much nicer than anyone would ever believe. I could yell at them and tell them the case that I am nicer than them, right? I am gentle. I am lowly. I am a lot like Jesus, really, when you think about it. I am great, right? Like, I am such a good person. That bad stuff can't come out of me, right? No. Obviously, that is not the case. And yet, there is a part of us. I know I made an exaggerated case there. There is a part of each and every one of us that believes that. It's that same part of us that gets mad at other people because we think that we're better than them. We came in today to discover that our stuff had been uh, messed with by some, uh, some miscreant middle schoolers. I have a nice little image. I won't share with you what it is on my podium right now, uh, drawn in Sharpie, so that's exciting. <clears throat> Man, in that first impulse, just I sort of immediately when I heard about this, it's just like, why are people so bad? And it's that impulse that believes that I'm so good. It looks at something like this and is like, well, I didn't do that, so I must be better. Like, it's that impulse in us that sometimes keeps us from seeing the badness that exists right inside of us. It keeps us from seeing all the evil, all the little pet sins, all the little things that we keep inside of us, all the pride, all the selfishness, all the jealousy that we keep inside of us that makes us act like bad people. Like, have you noticed this painful idea that Jesus set us free from sin, and yet sometimes we try and, like, keep a few of them around just for fun? Like, it's some sort of pet. Like, you might say, like, well, I have it in a cage. It only comes out at certain places. Or, like, people never see me act bad. I'm just sort of thinking it, you know. I don't have to live like this. I'm not saying that we can become perfect. Definitely can't just snap your fingers and instantly be a better person. But I think what Jesus is trying to tell us is that if the problem is inside of you, then the solution at some point has to start inside of you as well. He says the good person out of good treasure brings forth good. Isn't that what you want to be? The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. So, how can we be a good person? We've already talked about a couple of these. Step one, admit you're a bad person. Step two, accept a good person's death for you. And step three, let him, Jesus, that good person, change your heart. And that's really what we're after here, right? I mean, if the solution here is just to try harder, we're all out of luck, right? Like, it's not going to work out well for us. But what if Jesus wanted to help? Like, what if he was after your heart this whole time? But somehow the self-sacrificing God of the cosmos was madly in love with you and wanted your entire heart and wanted to heal it and to fix it and to change it and to make you good. What if he was coming hard after you? I stumbled across this quote uh, this week. 
I don't even, I can't even pronounce who it's from, but it's fascinating. And I found it in a book called You Are What You Love, and if you're interested at all in any of what I'm talking about today, uh, James K. Smith actually explains it a whole lot better. But he quotes uh, this other guy who says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Do you understand that that's what Jesus does in our lives? See, it's a real mischaracterization of Jesus if he's just like marching around and he's like, act better, be better, do better, do better stuff. But instead he comes after our hearts. He loves us first and invites, him, invites us to love him back and in so doing changes and shapes our hearts from the inside out so that we don't have to work so much harder and just be better and grind ourselves and feel guilty and face all of this hardship to be a good person. But in fact, we just have to love Jesus more and then he makes us more and more a good person. He slowly over time changes our longings and our desires and that in turn changes our actions. It's happened to me in a small way because uh, I used to be a funny guy. Like back in the day, I was like an actual funny person and uh, I, everybody knew it. Uh, I was hilarious. Everybody thought so. Um, something happened in my life that literally caused, and this is, this is really not an exaggeration, it caused my family to sit me down and say, hey, What's wrong with you? Because I wasn't funny anymore. And that thing that happened was that I met Sarah. <clears throat> now, before you go and, like, run her out on a rail, it is our 12-year anniversary, so I can say something like this. Actually, today, right? I expected an applause, but that's all right. So uh, I used to be funny, right? I used to be so much funnier because I was just cold-blooded, right? Like, I was like Bill Burr and Louis Black put together. It was funny because it just destroyed people. Uh, some of you guys are like, dang, I thought this guy was mean now. And I'm telling you that, like, back then, it just was savage, but hilarious, right? Uh, it was not good. And honestly, it's one of those things that you, like, talk about now, looking back, and you sort of, like, chuckle about, like, Jesus has done some, like, real work in me. It was not kind. It was not the way that Jesus actually wants us to live. But I changed. Most of it was because of Sarah. And it wasn't because Sarah walked up and was like, if you want to be with me, baby, there's a price to pay. No, it wasn't like that. Uh, that would have been culturally appropriate at the time. I know some of you guys are younger than me, so you don't understand. That would have been actually dead on accurate. But it changed because I was falling in love with a good person. Which if you're thinking about like how to describe Sarah Cook, like a good person is an easy way to start, right? I started to love a good person. Because of that, I started to love what a good person loved. Kindness, goodness, the things that are like Jesus. And because of that, all of those things that I even thought were like part of my identity, I thought they were the only reason people wanted to be around me, I thought it was all I brought to the table, those things started to fall away and they became so much less important. And like I said, Sarah never said anything to me to change this. It's because I loved her and this is what she loved. How much more then, if you love Jesus more and more, would you begin to look more and more like him? Would you begin to love what he loves? 
Here's my final thought on this. It comes from John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus is at a huge party. And it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So catch this. If being a good person is all about having a good heart, then having a good heart is all about coming to Jesus and drinking deeply. That is what he says, right? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Basically saying, if you come to me and drink of me, out of your heart will flow rivers of more and more me. Now, you need to notice even like the cultural context of what Jesus is saying here. This was at the end of this huge feast, this feast of booths where they celebrated that God had taken care of them and even given them water. This was the day where they were celebrating the water. God gave them water in the desert. They had like these huge water jugs that they would like commemorate. They actually had like commemorative mugs you could take home. This is not a joke back in the day. I don't think they had ads for like Aramark on them or anything like that. But like they had like mugs you could take home and be like, I was at Jerusalem 2 AD, right? Like uh, that was how they would like celebrate. And so imagine how big of a deal it is when Jesus, just some random dude, stands up in the crowd and says, hey, that water that God gave to you guys thousands of years ago that we're remembering, that water was good. But anyone who thirsts, let him come to me. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's saying, I am bringing something better. I'm bringing something better. You don't have to remember when God did something amazing for your people. You can see where God does something amazing in you right now. I am better than cold and dead religion where you are just having a festival to remember the time when God acted. I am actually offering you living water right now. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If I may, I think in some ways what he is saying is I am better than you working so much harder to be a good person. I am better than all of the ways that you feel bad about who you are now. I am better than all the ways that you're trying to make yourself better, and if you will just come to me and drink, then my goodness, who I am, will flow out of you. There's something about being with Jesus, about embracing and enjoying him. It's not just there to make you feel good, but it changes you, it shapes you, it changes your heart. If you want to be a good person, then you have to change what is on the inside first. And that only comes from loving Jesus. And in loving Jesus, you begin to love what Jesus loves. And that in turn makes you good. I'll leave you with these words of Jesus one more time. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his heart flow rivers of living water. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.